I'm not throwing away my shot. I'm not throwing away my shot. Hey, yo, I'm just like my country. I'm young, scrappy, and hungry. I'm not throwing away my shot. Welcome back to a uh, tale of two rivals. I am your host, Todd at F underscore Benterman Foster. Joined by hi. Dave, FF underscore Spaceman, right. And just to let the audience know, that was actually not Todd Foster. That was Lin-Manuel Miranda uh, joining us here on A Tale of Two Rivals. Uh, Shia LaBeouf texted him, said they were looking for a guest host. And Lin-Manuel is with us tonight, guys. This is phen- phenomenal. I'm really excited. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I actually don't know how he talks, but I- I've only seen him in Hamilton. <laughs> You, I thought it was a pretty good impersonation. It was. I wouldn't say it was like Sean Kennedy level impersonation, but I felt like Lin Manuel was with us. So, is anyone else joining us tonight? I gotta say, despite what you guys were just saying, I'm excited when Todd runs out of opener material and just does it as me. That's just that'll be, that'll be the tops. <laughs> he just opens the whole show as me. So you guys can say what you want, but I am going to be sitting here with nips as hard as diamonds when that happens. It is going to be fantastic. <laughs> All right. Kennedy, question of the day. Let us have it. Yeah. So open things up. Hopefully get a little banter rolling. We always like to start it off with the question of the day. And today's question is, in your opinion, what is the most underrated movie? Let's get a little positive here today. I don't feel properly prepared about what the most underrated movie is. So I'll just do with something that we've talked about on the show before. And I watched it this past weekend with my wife. We watched The Peanut Butter Falcon. As a recommendation from Todd and and Sean, I was blown away. Friend of the show, Shia LaBeouf, starred in it, and it was a... I could not get over how good of a movie it was. Um, for people who don't know, it's on Prime or Hulu, and it's about a young man with Down syndrome who his family kind of abandoned him, and he the only place the state could house him was in a nursing home. And he's like 21, 22 years old. He wants to escape from the nursing home. He ends up escaping. And then it's about a journey with a down-on-his-luck young man to a wrestling school. And it was just such a great, wholesome, original story that had humor in it. It had emotions in it. I'm actually thinking that's definitely my top 20 movies of all time, just from one viewing. I finished it, and I wanted to rewatch it immediately. I'm blown away, guys. Blown away. Everyone should check it out. An unbelievable movie. Just phenomenal story, dialogue, cinematography, like just the, the message. It was fantastic. I loved that movie. To, did not feel incredibly inclusive, too. You could tell the way they shot it of how much respect they had. I wish I knew his name off the top of my head, but the, the young man with Down syndrome, who was the actor, it just felt like the show's relation, like the actors really support each other and the way it was shot. I, I really connected with the characters. I, I can't say enough. I think what was great, too, is like it was his story. Main point, and it was Shia LaBeouf, great friend of the show, and I don't want to speak ill of him, but yeah. it, it wasn't like it was, he's hijacking the story as an established actor or somebody that they're going to look at and just say he's like an everyman. It was just – it was this kid with Down syndrome's story and journey, and it was just magnificent. His, that name, was his name is Zach. Gots again. I would love to meet this man. I'd love to shake his hand. I was blown away. I'm a big fan. So I actually will say that's an excellent pick for uh, underrated movies. It has a 7.6, which no. is, is a respectable yeah. score on IMDb, but not for that movie. No. Nope. Um, it's definitely movie, in the 8.4 range, in my opinion, at least. I gave it a 9. Um, the movie that I picked, I gave an, I gave a 10. And... Uh, it's it's an eight on IMDb, which to me I think is a pretty solid uh, underrated. Actually, I did say this when we talked about overrated. It's uh, Cinderella Man. I love that movie. I think the story, the historical accuracies, really nail what it meant to be part of like being on top and then being at the bottom in the Great Depression. Talked about how it affected every class. Uh, this like just the way they shot that film and the scenery and everything was amazing. Russell Crowe just killed it in the lead zellweger was in her prime she was and it was just you know, jimmy braddock if you don't come back to me oh yeah. such paul good giamatti paul giamatti was fantastic in it too i can't remember who played max bear but he was fantastic as the, like the antagonist he was just so good it's just a phenomenal film man and it does not get enough credit it it's one of my favorites of all time so cinderella man my most underrated movie 
Kennedy? For me, it was Sunshine, which was like a mid-2000s sci-fi flick. It was made by Danny Boyle, who did all kinds of great movies. He was eventually Ooh. ended up doing Slumdog Millionaire, but he had a great run before that of like Sunshine. But it's about this team of astronauts who have to try and fly to the sun to jumpstart it because the universe is dying of heat death. But it's got Cillian Murphy. It's got Chris Evans, who I think is one of the most underrated actors. Like, I think he's just for a lot of people. The Fantastic Four, Johnny Torch, that was terrible. He's Captain America, and he was the meathead kid and not another teen movie. But he has some great, like, indie flicks out there. And this one, the cinematography, the space scenes, it's, like, on that same plane as 2001, with just the visionary cinematography, how they lean into the technology without using it as a crutch. And I feel like it's it's fallen in that 7.4 range where Dave was talking about, where it gets some respect, but... Not not nearly what it should. I've never heard of this movie. It, where do you know where I can find it or what? I believe it was on Hulu. There okay. is. You guys ready to get in the topic? Yeah, I could do a whole show about movies, but yeah, let's go. All right, we are planting some flags today, gentlemen. So what does that mean? Well, the NFL season is only days away at this point as what have been one of the most bizarre off-seasons we've ever had. With the season upon us, it's time for us to start wrapping up this content. I think I can speak for Dave and Sean, and myself, obviously, say we're proud of the content in terms of quality and quantity we produced this off-season. There's always room for improvement, but we work incredibly hard to bring some fresh topics, some quality banner, and week in and week out. And if you're a regular listener, you probably have a good idea who each of us are really high on. So today, with the season right around the corner, we're going to come full circle, and we're about to put a stamp on this off-season takes. We're going to put our names and reputations behind a few guys and plant them flags. So by planting our flag, we claim our supreme confidence in this particular player and with a particular angle and risking absolute ridicule if we are wrong. This was one of the more popular episodes we did last offseason. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. A lot of we hit, we hit on a lot of our flag plants. We missed on a couple, but we hit on sure a lot. Did. Matthew Stafford, I know he flamed yep. out at the end and got injured, but we were way out ahead of him. We we had a lot of good calls last offseason. So I'm, I'm excited for this episode just to to put a bow on this offseason. That was one of my favorite episodes next to the emergency Chase Edmonds episode. I don't know if he comes up again. <laughs> oh but um, yeah, so like, we had to get on the mic for Chase Edmonds. Uh, so these takes are related to how we believe each player will perform in 2020 or maybe not in 2020. So guys, how did you determine where you're planting your flag? Is there something that's absolutely essential in this process for you, Sean? Yeah, for me, it is opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. Fantasy football and the history of it is littered with underachievers that thrived because of their opportunity. And I think that's the biggest thing because you can try and be a stickler for the measurables and the athletics like Dave is, but then you end up with the Jonu Smiths that you're still waiting on. And for the second time in two weeks, Dave, the David and Jokus. <laughs> and these guys that they have these unbelievable athletic profiles, but if they don't have a clear path to the field or they're in, in a not great situation, an unreliable situation, it doesn't matter how athletic they are because they can't throw themselves the ball and catch it or they can't block for themselves and run. So for me, that's the biggest thing is these guys that, you know, you've had your eye on for a while and they finally are stepping up. Like I love, I mean, everyone loved Chris Godwin. Coming into the league, right? I drafted him going into his rookie year and just refused to trade him because he was a flag plant guy for me. What's up, Sean? Are you trying to rub another thing in my face? Yes, Come absolutely. On. Of course. I'll take every chance I can get. And I fought off multiple trade offers from Dave over the years when Tampa Bay sucked, when their offense couldn't really click, when it was just Mike Evans, when OJ Howard was going to be like the next big thing. And he just came into this unbelievable opportunity when Arians came in. And even though the Bucks still weren't great, their offense was just high flying. So for me, that's what it is. It's opportunity. It's who's in the right spot at the right time. 
And do they have the potential to capitalize on it? Is it the same for you, David? No, it's not at all. I'm not some <laughs> like. Uh, how many rings do you have, David? It doesn't matter how many well, rings I have. It feels like it might. It feels like so it might. So you know how many times great explorers fail before they reached the pinnacle of their success? A lot I'm of them not, die like, in the process, like Henry Hudson or <laughs> yeah. Ferdinand Magellan. These I'm, men who yeah. are famous for dying in their well, journeys. Yes. <laughs> I have actually recently read a bunch of articles and books, and a book on Magellan. Very dark. Very dark. Um, yeah, but. At least they took some gambles. They weren't some conniving guy. Oh, let's see what's the easiest little uh, what's the easiest little country I can discover here because there's a lot of opportunity to go get. Th- yeah, come on. No, I'm out there and I'm thinking, who do I? I want it more than everyone else. I'm ahead of consensus on a player, and and it does not matter what consensus is saying because I believe. I believe. I am. I am the lost boys in hook when when Robin Williams does not believe in himself. He does not think he's Peter Pan. And I go, I believe in you, Peter. That's who I am. That's my flag plant. It's a situation where I'm more bullish than consensus on a player. Or it's a player that I'm ahead of consensus early in the offseason. And then the consensus ends up catching up. So DJ Moore, Miles Sanders, and Dynasty, they weren't early second round picks at back in, in January and, Mar- and February. Now they are. Chase Edmonds was a throwaway back in February, but now he's the bell of the ball. Everybody's about him. It's being out ahead, and it's just putting your name and going and and going out in a ledge, and and trying to be not not being contrarian. But you don't have anyone. You're not with the crowd. So that's where I plant my flag. I am above the rest. That's where my my flag plant is. I I gotta tell you, Dave. I feel like your inner child is coming out more and more on these episodes, and I just love it. It's, it's, well, it's, you know, Winnie the Pooh a couple episodes ago, and now I'm I'm to hook. So yeah, <laughs> Winnie the Pooh loves honey. It's a positive <laughs> thing. Michael <laughs> Dynasty calling me out on my honey Winnie the Pooh thing yeah. the other day was pretty funny. If we ever do a highlight shows, that's my number one choice. Um, <laughs> so when we first started this podcast, I was the guy who went with my gut, and that's where this comes from. My gut. You guys, for me, this beer gut wins hardware, boys. But yeah, there's a little bit of opportunity. There's a little bit about being bullish. But I feel like I have a good record at evaluating guys before they break out and have potential to be elite at some point. So there's two guys that I picked that I love to watch play. My eyes told me that they could be elite. They had star potential, and the numbers seem to support it to a certain degree, you know? So, in my process, I honestly didn't use a lot of data to support my takes outside of traditional stats in the past. Inevitably, being around Dave, particularly, I'm definitely starting to move towards more data-based approaches because it's just something I haven't explored, and I kind of hate it um, (laughs) because um, it makes total sense. Like, I get the value, I get the consistency, I get, you know, there's proof in data, you know? But at the end of the day, I go with my gut, man. There's just guys that I look at and I say to myself, why is this guy going here? This makes absolutely no sense to me. This guy's going to explode at some point. And I can tell you to him, blue in the face, you'll have plenty of ways to come back at me. And I'll say, we'll see. <laughs> you know. So it really just comes down to the two guys I picked. These are guys that I've had a gut feeling about. One of them for two years now, and the other one was like the rookish rookie I was the highest on. And if you listen to the show, you already know who I'm going to talk about. So thank God you rostered him. <laughs> um, I'm still I'm still mourning that one, but at the same time, my pick got me what I needed in DeAndre Swift, so I can't be that mad. In my opinion, this is one of the fun parts of fantasy football, and and actually being fun part of the community is. We develop a guy that we fall in love with. We're out ahead of what everyone else on Twitter is saying or other podcasts. This is one of the best parts about fantasy Twitter. And this is, you know, sometimes you crash and burn with David Wilson. It's, it's. Bishop Sankey. <laughs> a lot of tears, a lot of heartbreak. But when they hit, when your guy hits, oh, is it special? This mm-hmm. is the fun part of fantasy football. And I, this is one of my favorite episodes because it's a, it's, a, there is something to be saying to say, yes, this is my guy. I'm going to battle with this guy. I think the only thing that I enjoy more than this is hitting on a third-round draft pick that I was really high on. 
And I took two guys this year in the third, and Evans and Bowen. And if one of them hits, ooh, it's going to be sexy. It's going to be nice. Space man, plant that flag. So I feel like I've been on a, a broken record with a lot of these flag pants, but a lot of people that were in, cons- a lot of players were in consideration. Christian Kirk came to mind, and I mentioned earlier DJ Moore, Miles Sanders were some players that came to mind. They were in contention here, but my first and foremost had to be AJ Green. No, 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 no. It's not. It's AJ Green. There we go. That's it. Yeah, so his DLF August ADP is 115, uh, wide receiver 43, screaming value in Dynasty, and even in in Seasonal. I, I cannot get over it. Yeah, maybe I sweated a little bit early on when he had that minor hamstring tweak, but he's back out there now, baby. I'm not letting up on the throttle here. All that injury did, that tweaked it. If he would caught an injury, I'm sure he would have played through it But in the regular season. But all that does is make him more acquirable for me in, in redraft. And this is the reason why. I've written articles about it. I've done massive threads. We've had hour-long debates about it on this show. But this is why I love A.J. Green. From 2011 to 20, 2017, Green was the, scored the second most fantasy points among all wide receivers, only behind Antonio Brown. He outscored Julio Jones. He outscored DeAndre Hopkins. All kinds of players. He was a number two wide receiver from that in that time frame. Green dominated fantasy football with two top five performances, four top 12 performances, and six top 24 finishes in just seven seasons. He In those seasons, he averaged 14 games played, 76 receptions, 1,138 receiving yards, and eight touchdowns per season. That is elite level. His advanced metrics are through the roof. I'm not going to bore us with that, but they are just the metrics that matter. Oh my gosh. They, I'm telling you, if you're trying, you know, things are boring in, in quarantine. And if you're trying to mix things up in the bedroom, just try talking about AJ Green's Whopper, his racer. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, I'm telling you, it's good. It's good. It's it really takes things to another level here. Speaking from so, experience, I, I'm telling you guys. <laughs> notice I've had I've had more pep in my step recently. That's all I'm going to say. Ooh, saucy. And it's just AJ Green's advanced metrics. So and <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. And I'm doing this against a headwood, gentlemen. There's a lot of AJ Green hate out there. A lot of people have been burned by AJ Green in the past, and I don't blame them. It stinks to invest a high draft capital. And to see Adrian Green miss a lot of the season with the injury and then contract situations last season, that hurts. I understand that hurts you. But when he is healthy and when he is playing, he is performing at an elite level. And some big names in the industry have been bashing on Adrian Green recently. I'm not going to say their names because, one, they don't really care about listening to Tale Two Rivals, uh, Davis Maddock. But <laughs> they were saying that they were telling truth that Adrian Green hasn't produced in two years. And he's saying, oh, I'm not telling a lie here. Well, I'm sorry. A.J. Green has produced in the last two years. In 2018, he produced for half a season, and his points per game and his pace would have been, he would have been a top three wide receiver in 2019. That's what he did in 2018 when he was healthy with Tyler Boyd's breakout season still going on. A.J. Green is elite. And in 2020, Joe Burrow is the QB, is like probably the best QB that he's going to have in his career, and is the best supporting cast he's going to have. And I'm telling you, I am excited to have to be in on AJ Green this year. He's right now he's going at wide receiver 30 in Fantasy Pros ADP. And I love that value, baby. I have him as a top 20 wide receiver in my projections. I'll happily plant that fat flag. And if he's injured, oh well. I miss I missed out on oh heaven forbid I missed out on Ronald Jones and James White. <laughs> heaven forbid I of gambling on AJ Green and I miss out on James White. Oh, well, there's a lot of good wide receivers around there, Dave. Okay. Everyone all season has been talking about how great the wide receiver depth is. Okay. Great. So that means I can take a gamble on a potential top 12 wide receiver or a top 15 wide receiver. And if he misses, I can supplement him with a golden tape with, a, with other wide receivers that can minimize the risk. So yeah, give me the upside. AJ Green, baby. Get the hate out of here. There is, pound for pound, there is not a wide receiver with more upside at his ADP than any other player in this draft, in my opinion. It's there. And people can say, well, he's getting old. He's 32 years old. I don't want to hear it. Injuries, I don't want to hear it. The risk is built into his ADP. AJ Green has true league-winning upside at his draft position. 
my favorite part of this whole take, Dave, is you literally referenced three different sets of injuries and just brushed over like they're not a concern. You are literally the most optimistic person about injuries I've ever met. Didn't we learn last week that he is a doctor? Dr. Spaceman, in effect. Injuries? The best part of these injuries is they're healed. AJ Green's <laughs> foot injury is not an issue anymore. His toe injuries that he missed games in 2018 for, it's it's no longer an issue. I just hope that the 32 wide receiver has a hamstring injury, and you're like, it's fine. <laughs> He's got two of them, Todd. What's he need one? He doesn't. He can get by with only one. These experts, Todd. These experts. <laughs> And the very next sentence, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm all in on Will Fuller. Yeah. How does that make sense? Dude, How I, does that – people are going to say, oh, yeah, Will Fuller, he's a young – oh, yeah, sky's the limit. I'm going to put money in on Will Fuller. But A.J. Green, who's shown it for full seasons at a time. You've been very clear that you don't believe people actually have injuries. I, it's not that true. It's not true. <laughs> I just say it's – at that every player can get injured, Todd. DeAndre Hopkins has not had an injury history, hamstring injury, but he's missed a lot of camp because of a hamstring. Where are people talking about that? Where are people talking about concussions with, with Devontae Adams? The, the arbitrary nature that people apply their injury analysis to is mind-numbing. It's mind-numbing. And I'm not here for it. I'd rather just have best-case scenario. If it doesn't happen, okay, I missed out. I invested in why I, my wide receiver 30 who has incredible upside, I missed. And now I can take a Golden Tate and he can and he can get me just fine. I'll, I'll survive. Homeboy, you are triggered. I actually like your take. I just love the way that you breeze over injuries. It's hysterical. It's not breezed over. It's calculated in. It's calculated. <laughs> yeah. It's baked in. Let's yeah, go. I'm sure. It's, it's a very objective way of approaching it, David. I'm concerned <laughs> that Dave continues to call people out and make AJ Green bets. At some point, like, he's going to end up betting his house. My dick is on the table right now, gentlemen. It's on the table. <laughs> is it all that uh, Whopper talk? It's all yeah. that Whopper talk. Talk about his Whopper bed. <laughs> Kennedy, plant that flag, baby. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to plant my flag as vigorously as Dave is. My, uh, my first flag plant is Anthony Miller, wide receiver for the mediocre Chicago Bears. And I think the writing is on the wall for Anthony Miller to come out and to finish as a back-end to mid-wide receiver, too. So going anywhere from bold. wide receiver That's 15 bold. to wide like receiver it. 24. He's currently going at 140 for his ADP, which makes him the wide receiver 53. But I think, based on what he's shown, he can set himself up for somewhere from 70 to 80 receptions, maybe just shy of 1,000 yards and about eight touchdowns. That'll give him roughly like 225 points in a PPR, which had that happened last year would have set him up to be about the wide receiver 19 or 20. And the craziest thing about Anthony Miller is everything we know about him has come in short stretches, right? He's a high cap, high draft capital receiver. He's a second-round pick. They brought him in when they had just signed – Robinson, he's coming in off the knee injury, so they don't really know quite what they're getting, what his timetable is to return. They go out, they spend the capital in the second round on a team that needed a lot to take a wide receiver. He's also coming into that mystical third year that everyone likes to talk about at receivers. But I think more importantly, the elephant in the room is Mitchie T sucks and can't throw a ball to save his life. And Big Dick Nick isn't much better, despite him drowning our New England Patriots. So throughout fantasy, right, there's examples of bad quarterbacks supporting multiple receivers because I think everybody is on the same page that Allen Robinson has, like, back-end wide receiver one potential this year, right? Mid-wide receiver one potential. Look at that. Even better. With a bad quarterback. But we've seen Baker Mayfield is supposedly going to support Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham. Kyle Allen had DJ Moore last year and was able to somewhat support Curtis Samuel. And he had CMC with all his receiving work. The Frankenstein at QB for the Lions last year still had Kenny Galladay as the wide receiver six and Marvin Jones on track to be like a mid wide receiver two before he got hurt. So it can happen. You can have bad quarterbacks. Jameis last year was terrible. And look what happened. In his freshman season, Anthony Miller put up seven touchdowns from his freshman season to his sophomore season, his target share jumps, his depth of target jumps, all his metrics start to improve. And yeah, his 2019 started off terrible and he could barely get on the field. 
But when he was on the field, he went on this stretch of 431 yards and two touchdowns in five games. And in 2018, he did the same thing. He started out, he had a tough time getting on the field, but it's his rookie year. And then he does, and he explodes for 268 yards and three scores in a five-game stretch. So he's got these unbelievable stretches. And they're bookend by a struggle to get on the field by some inefficiencies. And then, unfortunately, both are capped with injuries. But like Dave just said, you can't live and die by injuries. Any hooser, if you take these stretches that he's had, these unbelievably successful stretches, and let's say he's able to pull that together for the value that you're going to draft him at. But I think some of the most encouraging things is what's been coming out of camp so far this year. He's getting praise from all levels of coach, the wide receivers coach, the offensive coordinator, Matt Nagy's coming out. Everyone's citing him as the most improved in player. But like I said, at the top of this, the biggest thing is opportunity. And the opportunity is screaming for him because this Bears team isn't going to be very good. They're going to be in a lot of negative game scripts. Their run game is unreliable at best. So they're going to be throwing a lot, even though they have a quarterback that's not great. And who's there to catch passes? There's still just Allen Robinson and Cohen. No other pass catchers last year had above like 40 receptions. All right, so flag plant, Anthony Miller, get him in the 11th round. You'll be getting back end to mid wide receiver two value for peanuts. So Todd loves <laughs> Anthony Miller. I was actually about to say, like, I was never really an Anthony Miller fan. I love it, man. I'm planting my flag. I'm going to go with my boy, Austin Eckler, and I believe he's going to finish as a top eight running back this year. So. 108 targets, 92 catches, 993 receiving yards, 8 TDs. For rushing, we had 132 carries, 557 rushing yards, 3 TDs. So, guys, the only thing I got to say to you is whenever I think about Austin Eckler, I just, he's it's not the same player, but I can't stop thinking about Larry Sanders. I loved Larry Sanders when he played. I mean, Larry Sanders. Larry Centers, my bad. Oh, I was about to say. Yeah, <laughs> no, Larry Centers. <laughs> I also like Larry, San- Larry Sanders, who was a great center with the Bucks. But Larry Centers, man, I, I love them. But um, so his ZLF ADP is 25. Uh, he's the tw- uh, is the RB13 off the board. So it seems like I'm like, wow, this isn't really like a ballsy pick. But my whole point is, is that like, the RB thirteen, I'm saying I'm 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 saying top eight because I feel confident enough that I can that he's gonna finish in the top eight. I feel like he finished four last year. I don't see why this out outside the realm of possibility of happening again. I was on this hype train last year when Gordon was holding out. I traded for him in our league. Um, I'm not getting off it now that Gordon's gone. You know, I'm also not buying the Chargers as a bad offense. You know what I mean? I think that people are trying to force the narrative before they really know. And I also think that from an efficiency standpoint, the blocking is going to be significantly better, you know? So, I mean, you add two Pro Bowl linemen, and I think Tyrod Taylor is... I think Tyrod Taylor is actually a pretty sneaky, like, play in Superflex because I think he's pretty solid. I think he'll probably have a whole year there, you know? And Eckler average 9.19 yards per target, which is best in the NFL... That's the best total for a running back since 2014 when Chris Thompson went for 9.44. The difference is Thompson only had 54 targets. Eckler had 108. So the efficiency is not even close. And he averaged 2.2 points per target. That's the best any running back's done since 2009. He had more points per target than CMC. Like, what's not to love here? Blowing Barkley out of the water, blowing Bell out of the water, blowing Kamara out of the water. So Gordon's gone, and I'm confident he's going to run the ball more. He's a much, much better runner than people give him credit. Dave, second most missed tackles per carry, seventh in yards after the contact per carry. And this that stat was collected for any running back under 130 carries. These numbers and articles support my eye test. I loved watching him play. When I watch him, I see a very fast, twitchy, surprisingly strong runner. He actually is smaller, but he loves to make contact. He's not afraid of it, but he can also make people miss. He's just fun to watch, to be honest. So his ceiling, top six running back, which he exceeded last year, but he's the 13th back off the board. Barring any injury, planting my flag, Eckert's a top eight running back in 2008. 
He's an absolute steal in the early third round. I am thrilled he's my RB2 in our league. Kamara, Eckler, Swift, let's go. I'm three-peating this year, boys. I really want to rain on your parade, Todd, but I'm not a jerk. And I'm not going <laughs> to rain, rain, on, rain. Your, on your flag plant like you guys try to do. <laughs> Why are you pluralizing it, David? Because, Sean, you what, what, rain, rain. times. I have a couple of questions for Todd. I will listen and answer them. Are you worried that Philip Rivers, one of the best screen game and targeting the running back, are you afraid that he is moving on? No, it, it absolutely does. So let's say that he's not as efficient with picking up a certain amount of yardage. I also think what equals out to that is he only had 132 carries. I get the Kelly piece. I get the Jackson piece. I'm not buying it. I just think Eckler's a better player, you know? So he's what he's going to make up for in running the ball more might equal out when he's receiving. But yeah, it does factor in. But I also think that Tyrod Taylor is a very efficient player who threw lots of running backs when he was there in Buffalo with McCoy. Yes, their wide receivers were god-awful, but it's something that he's used to doing. You know what I mean? So it's also like a variable where, yes, Philip Rivers was great at it, but it's not like trying to say, like, Tyrod can't be solid, you know? So, And honestly, I'm not trying to run your parade because I actually really like Eckler. We decided that today... Since uh, Sean was so eloquent in throwing us a new question of the day without preparing us beforehand. So this is, it's not the question of the day, but it is a quick pivot from what we're doing. So we're doing flag planting. I'll say this is flag throwing. This is the javelin. You just need this thing as far away from you as you can possibly get it. So which player is your Grinch? in 2020 because the season is happening and we're a week away so who do you not want to touch with a 39 and a half foot pole the 39 and a half foot pole reference is just hysterical to me that must have come from katie it did and you know what the way dave has been talking and slipping all these double entendres and innuendos into it it is spot on mine is Levion bell which for fans of the show he was Back when we did our Dynasty Buy Low Veterans episode, he was one of my running backs, and now I am seriously regretting it. Yeah, because he didn't listen to the succubus. Ugh. Yeah. Succubus. I was the only one who was out against it. You guys were all, oh, yeah, Levy about great value. And I was like, eh. I saw, I was like the weekend. I saw the blinding lights, and I got caught up in it, and I was just buying the narrative of the resurgent 2020. Captain Mono is back, and he's healthy. And the offense is going to take this step forward, and it will be fine. But what is going on this training camp? They trade for Kalen Balage, Like, for real? That's who they're going to go out and get to because Coach Succubus comes in and says, you know what, Lev Bell probably can't handle the full load, and we need to bring in somebody to compete. The best part is that he failed the physical. And he fails the physical. (laughs) That's who they thought could compete with him. A guy who can't even pass a physical. I don't know what a physical entails. I know I get one every year, and it's not very hard, but he couldn't even do that. So they look at Frank Gore, who's a million, and say, wow, man, him and Lev Bell probably aren't enough. So not only do we have this superstar, but we have this beyonder, and now we need just some guy who can't even get off the couch to compete with Lev Bell. And then he comes out another day and he's like, oh yeah, Love Bell's the guy. He's going to get all the touches. And then they're talking about not using him that much in the passing game. It's like watching Forrest Gump play ping pong. It's impossible to follow. It's got to be CGI'd. There's no way that this can even be reality at this point. And I should have known because he's the friggin' succubus. But everyone was saying, oh, the Jets are going to take the next step forward. That's what they've been saying about an Adam Gase-led offense every single year since Adam Gase has been a head coach. But you know what? Adam Gates can barely produce a top 12 position player in fantasy at any position throughout his five or six-ish years as a head coach or offensive coordinator. So where he was originally going, you know, where Bell was going at this kind of tear break, the back end of those veteran running backs and this kind of like old man resurgence that we're seeing, I hate it now. Where he's going at that end of the third-ish, Screw it. I'll punt it. I'd rather take a receiver there if it's like him and that's it. And I'll wait and I'll catch Cam Akers or I'll catch Raheem Mostert or somebody coming on the back end. But 
Man, the succubus got me. He lured me in. Lev Bell is not the problem. I think he still has it. I think he does too, which is the sad part. His receiving work alone should make him more relevant than most people going around. He upgraded the offensive line. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Just just to touch on Frank Gore for a second, I don't know. Do you guys know that Frank Gore Jr. is going to be a freshman in college next this year? I think Frank Gore is holding off for his Griffey moment. He's waiting for his son to get into the league, and they're going to score touchdowns in the same game. It's going to happen. I'm calling it. I'm calling it. Do you guys want to know how old Frank Gore is? He's older than the Back to the Future franchise. No. Yes. That's how old he is. The movie that was made after he was born has already traveled to the future in a year that we've surpassed, and he is still playing football. So you want to talk about one of the better things on Twitter is Frank Gore responding to Frank Gore is old tweets. It is priceless. I feel like we should make one then. I would just like to point out that I'm older than Frank Gore by month. And Todd, you would look the same doing those high knee drills or those cone agility drills. It feels like a compliment and a slight for one of them. That's insulting. You know I'm better. All right, I'm I'm waiting. I'm waiting for this. I'm waiting for the call, baby. Like COVID's gonna hit. They're gonna be like, we need a back. Where's Foster? I'm ready. All right, Dave, who's your guy? Who's your Grinch? People know the answer before it comes, but it's, and I feel like a broken record, but it's Kenyon Drake. <gasps> uh, breaking news. Uh, volume's king in face football. So I'm not saying that another running back is going to have more points than him or I'm projecting it. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that, A, Kenyon Drake has already been in a boot. He's been in a walking boot this preseason. So that's a red flag. He was in the... So that's something to be concerned about, you injury buffs out there. And then when I look at how he did in metrics that matter, metrics that talk about RB talent and not just volume, he was eighth worst in the league last year in evaded tackles per game. If it's not the best metric, it's one of the best metrics to, that assesses talent, RB talent, separate from volume. Drake was the wor- fourth worst in juke rate, which is evaded tackles per opportunity. And people are like, oh, yeah, okay. I'm going to blush all this off. They they franchise tagged him. They gave him money. No big deal. So that means he's definitely going to get the volume. You know, Cliff Kingsbury, he believes in him. Okay, but this is the same Cliff Kingsbury that took carries away from David Johnson, who had a big money, multi-year contract. So you think a one-year franchise tag is going to stop Cliff Kingsbury from benching Kenyon Drake if he continues to be inefficient with his opportunities? I don't think so. Kenyon Drake, I'm not touching him. He is has bus written all over him. And yes, can he return value? Sure. He can return RB2 values, whatever. Is he beating his ADP? I don't think so. He's, he did it for what? Six games or whatever. He did it in, in only three of those games, two games against San Francisco. No, I'm, I'm all set. Kenyon Drake is, has bus written all over him. Dave is like, is like pretty triggered tonight over his denial of the significance of injuries. Uh, but David, I like the take. All right. Uh, what, what, what did the injuries have to do with that take? Oh, you were like, for all you injury people, it was there. Was, there was a significant. I, yeah, tone I take. have a lot of. I have a lot of built up <laughs> anger about injuries. Yeah, it's very easy to poke that button. Just to press that button. It's very easy. It's it's, it's a good time too. Might I add? Um, Drake would have been mine as well. Uh, definitely, Dave's definitely been pushing that hard. Um, the the Chase Edmonds race is on on Saturday, Dave. I'm going to take Chase Edmonds in the sixth round. Yep. So I'm taking in the sixth round this year, man. You better pay up. You better pay up. So um, so just to provide something different, I'm also out on James Conner. Um, I know that is probably the player that to pick that is the most 50-50 across the board. And I'm I'm just out. I, I'm not doing anything with him. Um, I'm actually a fan of him. I love his story. I've actually really enjoyed watching him play. And I do think his ADP in trade value is reasonable uh, for what his ceiling could be. But th- it's just a lot about that situation that I do not like. Yes, I do not like the injury history. But the thing that really bothers me is how little we pay attention, how loaded that is with death piece and young running backs. And those guys are talented enough that they could come into a running back by committee. They could even take like work from him because you got McFarland, you have Snell, who is very underrated. I highly recommend if you're in deep league to go and get Snell. 
and then even Samuels, you know, but don't invest. I, I don't want to invest the draft capital and the trade pieces. I need to inquire him. Is it modest? Sure. But it is the highest of risk and the highest of rewards. And what it would cost to get him, there are so many better players in that third, fourth round kind of like realm that I much, much rather have. Like probably 14 to 16 of them, you know? So I am out on James Conner. You know, if you hit on him and you played and he hits, congratulations. You got more balls than me on that one. So, which doesn't happen often. But, so yeah. There's a there is indeed a reality where James Conner could be at RB one. I'm just not going to pay up to possibly see it happen. So, David, would you like to plant your flag? Yeah, if I'm going to plant a flag on a second player, it, let's just keep going with this with this frame. It's Chase Edmonds, DLF ADP, 171 overall, RB 53 off the board, and CC everything I said earlier about Kenyon Drake because. Kenyon Drake, I feel like he's a house of cards. And if he hits, he hits. No big deal. But at RB53 prices, uh, there's a little risk with Chase Edmonds. And yes, I think that RB53 is a little soft because I think he's probably a little bit more valuable. And the people that believe in him, it's tougher to get him than at those prices. And the only reason I like Chase Edmonds is simple. It's because of the positive Roto World blurbs a few weeks ago where Kingsbury said Chase Edmonds feels like a starting running back in this league. So that's it. That's all I need to know about this analysis. Rudderwer blurbs. Now I have to draft him in the eighth round because that's all you need to do in, in redraft, right? Is just follow Rudderworld, right guys? Well, I believe that blurb was inspired by our last year episode. That whoever wrote that just listened to our episode last year when we had an emergency Chase Edmonds episode. So they just pulled up some old material and was like, this guy's, this guy's it. What do you feel about it, Kings? You know? Right, Sean? We just follow the preseason buzz, right? That's all we need to do. Yeah, that's it. Just be a sheep. I'm just saying, guys, cut the crap. There is a reason to like Chase Edmonds. And you jerks who are following this Roto World blurbs and making it more difficult for me to draft Chase Edmonds, screw you. You should have been in on it way back from the beginning. When we were, Todd and I were making fools of ourselves after Kenyon Drake came and, and ruined it. You didn't earn the badge of honor. You didn't, you, you didn't come in and, and, and double down this offseason. And then we're going now down with the ship, again. baby. We're going down. Yeah. Oh, yeah, baby. What I want to say, and I've said this a couple times in the, uh, this offseason, and, and I mentioned a little bit, evaded tackles per game is one of the best metrics at uh, evaluating RB talent. And it separates it from the volume because we know how important volume is for RBs. But evaded tackles per game is a big deal. And I have a process where every offseason I look at uh, players with limited workloads between 40 and 100 carries and to see how they did in this metric. Because it's a great way to say, hey, look, what if these guys were able to, they came, were able to work themselves, they, they showed their talent, we've seen it before, We've seen it last season. What if the, the coach gives them another look, they earn their injury or whatever, and their situation improves? What can they do with their, their opportunity? And time and time again, this process has proved effective. Looking at the tackles per game has turned me on to Austin Eckler, turned me on to Chris Carson, Matt Breida, and a lot of other running backs. At, for a discount price, you can be ahead of the curve in these players. And in this season, at, at Chase Edmonds and his limited opportunity – Still was top 12 of eight tackles per game in, in this uh, subset of 40 to 100 carry uh, running backs. Uh, his juke rate was better than Ch- uh, Kenyon Drake. And looking back at Chase Edmonds' college profile, he was a dynamic, excellent pass catcher. At, I think it was at Fordham, I believe. But Yes, it was. And then and, and Kingsbury has, we, I said it before, it would not be surprising if Kingsbury turned away from Drake because of an unimpressive performance because he did with David Johnson. And he's going his RB53. Not only is he going, so he's going RB53 in Dynasty, he's going his RB53 in Fantasy Pro's ADP as well. I think he, in bye weeks, he, he has standalone flex appeal. But if he gets any opportunity whatsoever, watch out what he can do. Uh, and, and the problem is, is, I think he's being priced behind these premium handcuffs like a Tony Pollard, who I think is a premium handcuff, because you think if he got opportunity, he could return top 12 RB numbers. 
And I think the same thing. Chase Edmonds last year when he had the opportunity, he was turning top 12 RB numbers. And I think the same thing with Chase Edmonds. And, I, and I'm happy to see that people are catching up. But man, I, he's a guy that I want to plant my flag on because he, he is exciting to watch. And give me the Chase Edmonds. And he's still very acquirable. He's very acquirable. So yeah, give me some Chase Edmonds, baby. So I think the other thing that, I mean, I think you kind of like alluded to it and kind of went around a little bit. But like when you talked about Tony Pollard being an elite handcuff, he's a elite handcuff because he's a true handcuff because he's behind a, an absolute workhorse in Zeke, right? There's a yeah. reality where I, you could see Drake and Edmonds even just getting a 50-50 split at some point. You know what I mean? Like That makes Edmonds more attractive. Right? That's what I'm saying. So, like, yeah. it, it doesn't even need to be Edmonds beats out Drake. You know what I mean? Ed, Edmonds, like, Drake is not some sort of workhorse. He's never has been. You know what I mean? He's always been a guy who's done things in a very small... You're also talking about an eight-game window to be buying on Drake like that. Like, in our keeper league that's going on Saturday, I had I could have kept Drake in the eighth or Joe Mixon in the second. I have, like, a late second. I kept Mixon because I'm just so out on Drake, you know? And Mixon didn't have a contract yet. So I really think that there are so many positive reasons that Edmonds is going to end up there. And I, I'll find out say it. I think Edmonds is a better football player than Drake. I do. That's what I believe, Todd. And I was trying to not say it. I was trying to be rational and, you know, follow the volume and whatever. But yeah, I think that as well. Yep. Edmonds could be a league winner this year. And that's Absolutely. that term gets thrown around arbitrarily at times. But I'm sorry, he could really return that kind of value. He's probably the best value in the entire draft, right? Yep. Yep. I, For 15th yeah. round, what we're talking about right now is just, it's insane. Yeah. That I even threw, exists. I threw a tantrum over not getting him in a charity draft. And it became a tweet. I was very upset. <laughs> Love it, Dave. I actually called you today. I'm like, are you taking Edmonds? You can have him. <laughs> so... I appreciate that, Todd, because I really do like Chase yeah, Edmonds. Yeah. But this, uh, and I will say this, guys, for the sake of Tale Two Rivals, we're not rivals on this one. We're hand and we're arm and arm. We're at the we're at the barricade, shouting from the top of our Ooh. lungs. Viva la France. Les Mis drop. Yes, Chase Edmonds, baby. Let's do this. Who am I? That's a great parody from Sesame Street, by the way. It's good stuff from their way, Miss. Anyways, Sean, <laughs> plant your flag. So for me, my second flag plant was Cameron Akers, running back for the Los Angeles Rams, who I very much warmed up to. Pre-draft process, and even right after the draft, I wasn't, I wasn't wild about him. But the more the season clicks on, the more I, I look at him, the more I look at the Rams the way other running backs are shaping up. I'm kind of excited about him, where he's going at his ADP. ADP is 65. He's the RB26 off the board. But I think this is a kid who's really got RB15 or above all over him. Because again, it's opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. One of the, one of the biggest knocks on him is they took Henderson last year in the third, Right. They have Malcolm Brown, and Malcolm Brown had that explosive, like, was it two-week or three-week stretch to begin the season last year. But then nobody ever heard from him again. You're talking about Henderson, who barely even saw the field last year, who's kind of been a ghost all through training camp of his rookie season, training camp of this year. They're two guys. They get they have injury histories. They can't get on the field consistently when they are healthy. And I think for them to already have those options, if for some reason – they were seeing something that the rest of us didn't from the outside, then the Rams wouldn't have taken Akers with their first pick in the 2020 draft. They wouldn't have made him the fourth RB off the board when they have some glaring needs because one of their cap structure is one of the worst in football. But lo and behold, they took Cam Akers because I think they see that Cam Akers can be something special. And what they want is 2017-2018 Todd Gurley when he got out from under the thumb of Jeff Fisher and was finally able to be Todd Gurley and fully utilize his skill set. And I think Sean McVay isn't looking to reinvent his offense because his offense isn't that overly talented. I think it's a lot of guys that fit well into the scheme that he's developed. And they're looking to get that Gurley workload to Akers. And I think the fact that you haven't heard too much out of this backfield throughout training camp is probably the best news you could have heard. Because all that means is that they're meeting expectations and expectations were Cam Akers is going to be the guy. And it, despite how really disappointing and bad the Rams were last year, 
and Gurley, people saying he's hurt, they're not using him, he's underperforming. He had just about the same amount of carries that he always had. Two carries per game that he missed. His receiving is where he really took a hit. But Akers showed throughout college he can catch out of the backfield. And I think to get this offense going again, to really fire it back up, they're looking for somebody that they can lean on out of the backfield to be that Todd Gurley. They knew Gurley couldn't be Gurley, so they let Gurley go. And I think if Cam Akers can get that same work, which there doesn't really seem to be anything standing in his way to say that he can't, fire him up because he's just going to be fantastic. So for the Rams, I think to wipe off the sludge of last year and get back to this ascendant 2017 team that they were, 2018 Super Bowl team that they were, it's all going through Cam Akers. It's all going through the resurgence of their play-action game, their running back utilization, their receiving running back utilization. So calling it Cam Akers, high-end RB2. I respect it. I think it's a ballsy take. It could. It's definitely in the realm of possibilities. We shall see. We shall see. So, yeah. You guys ready for me to plant my flag? Are we ready? Plant that flag. <laughs> Cut that meat. It. <laughs> that's, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna plant my flag and shocking. It's my favorite rookie, CD Lamb. I'm going to go pretty bold. I'm going to say he will be a top 12 wide receiver in startup drafts in 2021. Uh, I'm, I'm, that's, that's a cut. That's a deep cut. I'm, I'm going there. I'm just going. Mari is even a top 12 after what he's done. I, I know. Has he done a lot, Dave? Yeah, he's done. He was a top 12 wide receiver last year, Sean. So would you want him as a top 12 this year? Yeah. Oh, you would. So it's not, crazy to do a certain degree because he is the wide receiver 20 off the board according to DLF. He's mid-fifth round super flex uh, at uh, 56.25. So, yes, it's a leap. But he's still getting picked as like a low second as a rookie. So I've been high on Lamb for well over a year now. And that hasn't changed. The numbers, the measurables, the films, they're all exciting. Makes people miss. Breaks tackles. Unreal body control. High point catches. Loves to be physical. His blocks are some of my favorite highlights. The guy's a freaking beast. He ended up with an elite quarterback in a pass-heavy offense. C.D. Lamb will be a superstar in this league. End of story. That's it. I'm just convinced. Now, 2020. It's a narrative that's been just beaten to death. Yes, the Cowboys have the second most vacated targets in the NFL with 190. They invested first-round draft capital in a guy after they had two great wide receivers because he's that good. Gallup's a third-round pick, all right? I believe that he could be and will be the wide receiver, two in 2020 for the, for the Cowboys. So it's not unreasonable to see him having more targets than Gallup. And if I'm wrong, I think his floor is top 36. So even if you're buying into this idea, the floor is not going to kill you with being wrong here. I do think that he's better than Amari Cooper too. And I do eventually think he's going to be the number one wide receiver on this team. And then Gallup is a free agent after 2021. And the way I'm looking at it, if CD Lamb goes off, like I think he will, I don't see how you don't invest in him as a top 12 pick, knowing what he's going to become. And you know what this is all based off? My gut. It's a gut. So Todd, so you're, let me ask your gut a question, Todd. That's my gut. Your the wide receiver three on Dallas Cowboys is going to be a top twelve wide receiver next season in DLF ADP. I well, first of all, I don't think he's going to be the three wide receiver. I think he's going to be the two. If he's going to be as good as I think he's going to be, I honestly wouldn't. I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility he's the best wide receiver this year. That's how bullish I am on him. What makes CD Lamb a better prospect than Amari Cooper? I think what makes CD Lamb a better prospect than Amari Cooper is I think that he is a better route runner. I think that he is a significantly better player after the catch. I think he's a player that is significantly tougher. You can probably play with him over the over the middle, where Cooper is not as effective. Cooper is like drastically inconsistent, and I think that you can u- utilize CD Lamb in offense a lot different ways than you could Amari Cooper. It's 2022. Okay, two out of these three guys are only on the team. Which two is it? It's Gallup. It's Gallup and Lamb for me. There's no way they're going to opt into. 
Cooper for 20 mil. Which one is definitely on the team? Well, Lamb, because he's the cheapest. Right, but I also think he's going to be the best. But my point being is that somebody is going to be out. I think it's Cooper, though. That's what I'm saying. I think Cooper's gone. They're not going to pay 20 mil when they could pay two guys to do better, probably half that much. Gallup was a top 12 wide receiver. He was on pace to be a top 12 wide receiver last season. Gallup is phenomenal. He is being way too overshadowed in the Lamb draft. What he's going to get for a wide receiver free that's, agent thing? That's the thing that made this hard. It's not Cooper. It was Gallup. That's what made my take hard. I don't want to rain on your parade, Todd, that's because fine. I like CD Lamb. Rain. But Stefan Gilmore called Amari Cooper one of the best route runners in the league. And to say that... CeeDee Lamb is a better route runner than Amari Cooper, who had better draft capital, had better college production, and had and better athleticism than CeeDee Lamb. I think that's disingenuous, and I think you're getting ahead of your skis there. That's totally fair. And to tell you the truth, Dave, I was really high on Amari Cooper out of college. You know, And I also know that I'm a little bit of a Amari Cooper hater because I was burned by him in that awful season. And I there's a taste in my mouth, and I will fully admit that that still lingers at times. I just think that the Cooper hate has gone too far. And I'm not saying that I don't like CeeDee Lamb. And the other thing, too, is about it is, like, I also agree with you that the Cooper hate's gone too far. And I also don't think me saying I think CeeDee Lamb is better than Amari Cooper, is that I think he'll be a better player, it shouldn't be taken as if I think Amari Cooper's bad. I just Amari Cooper was a top 12 wide receiver last season. For and the first time ever. Season. For the first time ever. Everything you just said to me about Cooper and Lamb comparing them, you're right. I agree. I believe this is the exception to the rule. That's what I'm trying to say. And I'm totally fine just saying, that's where I'm planting my flag. Let's wrap this f- up. All right. Flags have been planted. My CD Lamb one will probably bite me later, but I'm cool with it. David, tell them where they can find you. You can find me at nastyhappyhour.com. I have a new article coming out on Henry Ruggs. Check that out. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, guys, I am really excited for the start of the season. Holy crap. I cannot believe we did it, guys. This offseason has been a struggle. We did it. We're less than a week away. I'm excited to have actual content to talk about on a tale of two rivals. Everyone who's been listening to us, get ready to win championships. We will get you those rings, baby. Let's do this, guys. So, yeah, let's uh, hopefully next time you guys... Listen to us. We're going to be all celebrating our amazing takes and our drafts. So let's do this. While you're in your pursuit for your rings, remember, I have two. Sean has one. Dave has none. Yeah, you can catch me learning new things over on Twitter <laughs> at FF underscore walrus. Um, you know, just every day is a new adventure. And here we go. Teach me a thing on Twitter because I know nothing about it. <laughs> all right. You can find me on Twitter at FF underscore Banterman. I write for the Dynasty Football Digest. I am working on a lot of Debbie stuff. I debuted uh, a new series called the Debbie Diamonds. Uh, it's a quick hitter series. I'm pretty much trying to put together profiles for Debbie elite players. I'm going to do things like Debbie darts for more uh, deep and di- uh, deeper dive kind of players. Um, I do have a Debbie episode ready to fire up for a solo one on our feed once I figure out how to edit and not put it on Dave's plate. So, yes, I am very excited. And Joey the Tooth from the IDP guys maybe my beat for my episode. I'm pretty excited about that. So, um, yeah, it's got a 90s hip-hop vibe. I was very excited. Um, I am also going to put out an article soon talking about why I believe this is a good time to be investing in sophomores in Debbie. Uh, and I will get more in-depth about that on a podcast as well. So, gentlemen, I really wish you played Debbie because I would love to talk more about it, but it's okay. Until next time, keep fighting.